Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. If you want to make friends, I'm just trying to save you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but it's also to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. We got what we wish for. Hey, that's my takeaway from today's action, where the Dow actually jumped 164 points, while the S&P dropped 0.68%, and the Nasdaq plunged 2.05%. Everybody said they wanted the market to broaden out. Well, welcome to the broadening. For many months now, this market's been led by tech, specifically the Magnificent Seven, Alphabet, Amazon, Apple, Meta Platforms, Microsoft, Tesla, and the new kid on the trillion-dollar block, NVIDIA. But today... Today, we saw how things look when these stocks get hammered and the money rotates away from tech to other parts of the market. If you own nothing but tech, today was simply a terrible day. But if you own a diversified portfolio, well, you know what? Things look pretty darn good. And what's taking their place? We've got giant moves in the ones for loan banks, the retailers, the beaten down healthcare stocks, even the transports, utilities. Tonight, I'm going to go over the names that I think can keep winning even if the market doesn't broaden out. But these stocks are cheap. I like them. First, though, let me start with what triggered the bloodletting that freed so much money from the longer-term winners. First, last night, Netflix reported a series of terrific subscriber games, but it gave you a tepid outlook. Most of the conference call was about how their password cracking down has been working. The ultimate growth stock seemed to have hit a wall. Hey, that was Wall Street's verdict. I think Netflix was wrongly convicted. Much more on that later. Tesla also reported it, and investors collectively voted with their feet. Sell, sell, sell. Uh, they, you know why? Because Elon Musk seemed willing to spend huge amounts of money on uncertain projects like self-driving cars. I think the sellers are wrong to doubt him. They're betting against him. That's a mistake. More on that later, too. Finally, the biggest maker of semiconductors, a company called Taiwan Semi, reported a disappointing set of numbers and also talked down demand for pretty much everything from classic semiconductors, semiconductor capital equipment, phone and PC makers. They even questioned the, quote, frenzy for artificial intelligence, which has been the most important spurt of the year's tech rally. Now, you know many of these stocks trade together, and they get hammered together. But if you own a diversified portfolio, including many beaten down stocks for 2023, stocks that represent great value now, you crushed it. Many people now believe that at last the bull's embracing the rest of the market, something that ultimately does have to happen if this market's ever going to get to the healthy breadth it needs to charge still higher. Uh, even as I am comfortable with market that has narrow leadership, never bothered me, as long as those leaders are terrific companies, that is. That is. I, even I'm getting a little nauseated seeing the same handful of stocks go up every day on no information, and it has led to a remarkably overbought stock market, which you know I think 
is suboptimal. The stocks were bought today, they represent rock-solid value, companies that could be doing tremendously if we aren't heading into recession. It clearly doesn't look like we're going to. These rotations of these stocks make sense, and they embrace some very inexpensive sectors. I got an idea. Let's just go over the winners, specifically the ones that can keep winning, because I care about the future more than the past. First is healthcare. The Travel Trust owns a couple of drug stocks, of which only Eli Lilly has produced much of a win, thanks to its amazing diabetes-slash-weight-loss drug, Munjaro. I wouldn't be surprised if this Munjaro doesn't become the best-selling drug of all time, given the scale of the obesity epidemic. But today we saw two new healthcare stocks crack into the big-time win column, Johnson & Johnson and Abbott Labs. J&J put up good, good pharma numbers and great med tech numbers. Plus, it announced an exchange program with subsidiary Kenview that could amount to one of the biggest buybacks in the company's history. And maybe, just maybe, allow investors to ignore the talc asbestos litigation that's put a huge damper on the stock. We also got tremendous numbers from one-time market darling Abbott Labs. The best of the best in the medical device space that has been experiencing one of the worst COVID hangovers I've ever seen. Today reminded me of the old Abbott, a company with the best devices and an amazing baby formula franchise. I think both healthcare stocks can go higher. Next to the banks. Oh, boy, it's time to recognize that these stocks have been overly punished. They're now too cheap. Can't ignore them, especially if the regularly scheduled recession has been canceled. The winners here are the big dog, that's J.P. Morgan, which is America's most dominant bank, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, both put up terrific numbers, as well as Morgan Stanley, fantastic numbers, and even Goldman Sachs, not great numbers, good future, they're all cheap. As, and by the way, Goldman was talking about if the IPO and M&A markets come back, it's going to roar. I agree. Most of retail's been left for dead, even as these companies are, for the most part, excellent performers in a world where the Fed might be almost done raising interest rates. Hard to find a stock is beaten down right as Target with its 3.3% yield. Walmart and Costco's stocks have been doing better, but it looks like they're really going to break out here. Dollar General is well off its highs. How about the crushed utilities? You know what? Here's one for you for you. I think you ought to think about it. It's Sempra. It's an energy infrastructure company in the Southwest. Uh, it, makes, it makes so much sense here, especially with its 3.2% yield. It's palpable. You might want to consider PG&E, the incredibly well-run California utility has been rallying as it cleans up the mess of fires that bankrupted the company. A trust representing the victims of those fires is now one of the company's larger shareholders, and they're selling down their position. And I think it's awfully difficult to beat, yes, one that we've featured forever in the show, American Electric Power, now yielding almost 4%. It's really, really that uh, cheap, but it's down almost 20 points from its high. We even got a rally in the stalled transports. They are really breaking out here. And my favorite under-the-radar screen Canadian Pacific, Kansas City, the company created by the merger of Canadian Pacific and Kansas City Southern, putting together the greatest North American railroad. I like All it. All aboard! Now, we don't know the staying power of this move. Will it be a minor chord in a symphony led by the 40% of the market that's still technology? Is this just one good day and we're going to return to the Magnificent Seven next week? I think there's more to this rotation than that. Bottom line, tech won't be forsaken, but it's not going to come back immediately. It's just, uh, I'd say maybe give it a week. But the admission of the other stocks to the brethren of the bull is excellent news for the market. Let's hope it lasts. Adam in Georgia. Adam. Hey, what's going on, Jim? Ah, you tell me, Adam. What's shaking? Well, okay, check it out. Um, I've held Home Depot in my um, bank account, in my stock account, for 21 years. And I've been rolling over my dividends the whole time, thanks to your advice. And I'm thinking, is there any way I can find out how, how much I've made? 
Well, that would be something that you uh, have to calculate yourself. But I'll tell you this. I care more about how much you could make, not how much you made. And I think Home Depot is a darn good stock, but I'm going to throw in another. I like Lowe's, too. People like them Florida decor, by the way, but that's a little too speculative for me. How about Jeff, my home state of New Jersey? Jeff! Mr. C, I have to ask you a question. I've been looking for a value stock. Okay. And I've been watching this stock for about six, eight months. Paramount has, is worth about $30 billion in assets, and it trades one-third of that. Why is that? Am I living in reality? No, you are very much in reality when it comes to the stock. But, Jeff, you know what? We also care about the other side, the bonds, the financial, the leverage, the debt. And the debt is too great there. And that's why I can't recommend the yeah. stock. Hey, let's stick my home state. John in New Jersey. John. Yes, uh, Jim, how you doing? I shout out to you, uh, my buddy Joe Klecko, Hall of Fame again, and Anthony's birthday. I Klecko. wanted to know about what Stan, S-O-U-N, and how you doing. Which one? Which one, that? Which stock? S-O-U-N, Soundhouse. Soundhouse. I look, I like the product, but that doesn't mean I like the stock. I like the product so much I don't want to own the company. How's that? I like that. All right. The admission of other stocks to the brethren of the bulls is palpable and excellent. Let's hope it lasts. Oh, man, tonight we're wrapping up our cloud comeback series by looking at the third-tier winners, one of which I'm a real big fan of. Then, tomorrow after the close, we're getting the mid-year rebalancing in the NASDAQ 100. I'm setting you up for the big event, and it may have influenced today's pricing. And SAP reported earlier in the day, Siri wasn't thrilled with the results. Let's dig in deeper with the company's top brass. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. week, I've been taking you through the biggest winners in the best performing group of the year, the cloud software space, because everybody's so focused on the Magnificent Seven that they wind up ignoring these much larger moves. Now, we've already highlighted the eight enterprise software stocks with the most impressive gains since the bottom, searching for names that can keep winning, even if the market's ardor for tech certainly did cool a bit today. Tonight, I'll take you through the ninth through 12th best cloud comeback names as of last night's close, and that's Cloudflare, Bill Holdings, Adobe, and Zscaler. 
CloudFlare is a content delivery network that's an essential part of the infrastructure of the, uh, of the Internet and it also has a good cybersecurity kicker. During the panic, this was one of the hottest stocks on the planet. This thing surged 1,373% from its lows in March 2020 to its highs in November 2021. Then the Fed started tightening. Growth stocks went out of style. And Cloudflare lost 83% of its value, holy cow, before bottoming last fall. Now the stock's bounced 80% from that low, although it's still down 70% from its all-time high. By the way, Cloudflare plunged from 60 to 40 in May after putting really, it was a great first quarter because management had some cautious commentary on the economy. So we brought CEO Matthew Prince in on the show a week later, and he explained that demand's still solid. It's just taking longer to close big deals. Boy, I hope you listened to him. He was so earnest because you know what? The stock's up 50% since then. What's fueling Cloudflare's resurgence? In part, it's the same pivot to profitability we saw from the other cloud comeback plays. These guys have been turning a profit for nearly two years now, but they actually doubled their full-year earnings forecast when they reported first-quarter earnings. More important, Cloudflare became free cash flow positive in the past two quarters. I couldn't believe the stock got hit so hard. Of course, these numbers are still very small, whether you use the earnings or cash flow estimates out a couple of years. The stock is, some people would say, insanely expensive. People justify paying up because Cloudflare is seen as an essential platform by its customers. I agree with that. And they're expected to deliver 31% revenue growth this year. Personally, I'm a fan, as you can tell. But Cloudflare reports in two weeks. Why not wait to find out if you haven't bought it yet? Next up, there's Bill Holdings. Now, this was originally Bill.com, okay? It's a digital payments play focused on small, medium-sized businesses. So the company now offers a broader suite of software tools that help these smaller outfits automate their back-office financial operations. It builds up roughly 89% from its lows, although it's still down more than 60% from its peak at the end of 2021. Now, I'm intrigued by this one because Bill Holdings gave us much more abrupt pivot to profitability this year. After losing money in 2021, and 2022 fiscal years, they're likely to earn an astounding $1.45 per share in their 2023 fiscal year, which actually just ended last month. We're going to find out for sure in August. Their free cash flow is also expected to turn positive for the first time. That said, I admit that I've been reluctant to pound the table on Bill because I'm simply not sure how necessary their platform is. And I've had a hard look at it as a small business person. I'm sure it's good. But is it better than what businesses can get from, say, Workday or one of the payroll processors or Intuit or maybe even their bank? It wasn't clear to me. Now, I'm much more confident about the 11th best performing cloud comeback play. And you've all heard of this one. It's called Adobe, up 88 percent from where it bottomed last September and only down about 26 percent from its 2021 high. Now, I've liked Adobe ever since the transition to a subscription business model. It was over a decade ago. That's why I was one of our original cloud kings. That said, I got even more positive on, the, on this in March when I spoke to, to Shantanu Narayan. He's the CEO and realized that Adobe could benefit enormously right now from the mainstreaming of artificial intelligence, not in 2024 and 2025 like so many others. Back then, they launched a product called Firefly. I have seen this thing work. It is just incredible. You can think of it as a generative AI tool for all sorts of creative projects. Uh, it'll edit your photos or videos or sound clips with simple English language commands, something that can save companies a fortune on labor costs and time, or at least make their existing designers way more productive, which is how it's being used mostly right now. The only success of Firefly helped Adobe shoot the lights out when it reported those tremendous numbers last month. By the way, the stock's up 55% since we brought Narayan on this show back in March. 
Unlike the other cloud comeback stocks, Adobe's a mature company with profits galore. They didn't even need to pivot. Even now, the stock sells for 33 times this year's earnings estimates, which is reasonable given the growth potential. That's important because this cloud software bull market falls apart. You know what you want to go to? You want to go to Adobe. I expect Adobe to be one of the most resilient stocks in the group, just like it was last year. These guys may be top five in terms of generative AI right now in my book. Finally, there's an outfit called Zscaler. You might be familiar with them, cybersecurity outfit, with a stock that's up 74% from where it bottomed. And it bottomed less than three months ago. Remember, there was this spurious sell-off in the cyber stocks this spring after one of the worst-run players brought the whole group down with some bad numbers. But the better operators were doing terrifically, including Zscaler, which pre-announced a far better-than-expected quarter in May. The stock hasn't looked back since. It's even got more of a boost following a bullish investor day last month. Now, I spoke with Zscaler CEO Jay Chaudhry about a week after that, and I thought he told a pretty good story. Now, Zscaler's had positive earnings and positive uh, cash flow for years, but they did pivot to become more profitable this year. Companies expect to earn a buck forty-six per share in the current fiscal year, which ends this month. That's up from sixty-nine cents the year before. Well, that's pretty huge, isn't it? Okay. That said, I feel more cautious on Zscaler for a particular thing that's happened. See, this this company just got hit, I think, although people don't seem to realize it, by a big change at Microsoft. Microsoft just announced that they're moving into a huge chunk of the cybersecurity market. Now, I spoke to Nikesh Arori, the CEO of Palo Alto Networks, a charitable trust name, last Thursday, and he sounded pretty confident. Cybersecurity is a huge space, and Microsoft likely won't be able to crush most competitors. However, Zscaler is a little different because Microsoft's a huge sales partner to Zscaler. So as Microsoft rolls out its increasingly comprehensive cybersecurity platform, Zscaler is likely to be the hardest hit. They go from being friends to being, okay, not friends? Well, I'm sure Jay will have a good story, but I'm worried that Microsoft is going to come at them. And it doesn't help, of course, that this thing sells at 100 times earnings. Look, the stock's up 74% in two and a half months. No shame to take some profits here. I know I would. Hey, you know what? I got an idea. Take some profits and go buy yourself a sweater with them, as my mom used to say when we hit big at the casino. Of the four cloud software winners I mentioned tonight, I think Adobe is the safest by far, while Cloudflare is an excellent company who have a little nervous about the nosebleed valuation. Bill Holdings has done very well, not convinced it's essential. And as for Zscaler, this longtime Kramer fave, where the biggest partner, Microsoft, suddenly turned into a competitor, skittish. But the bottom line, when you go through this whole newly red-hot cloud cohort, of course, until today, nearly every one of them is doing much better on the profitability front than they were doing a year ago. This industry has changed dramatically, changed for the better in the last 12 months. And so do not be surprised if some of these cloud winners can keep working their way higher, even if the Nasdaq suddenly faces some pretty tough weather over the next four or five days, as I expected to have. Bad Money is back after the break. Coming up, the Magnificent Seven moseyed into town, and now the saloon needs renovations. Kramer breaks down the NASDAQ 100's rebalancing act. Next. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. 
With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is a really hard story to understand, but I got to give it to you because it really impacted what you saw today on the screen. See, tomorrow night after the close, something big is going to happen to the NASDAQ 100. And it's not a good thing. And it's a big reason for the huge tech sell off today, although not as big as the widely panned numbers from Tesla and Netflix. I'm talking about the NASDAQ 100's index earth-shaking mid-year rebalance that was announced a few weeks ago. It was kind of shocking. I didn't follow it initially. I had to do a lot of digging. I figured it out with the help of some others. I don't want you to be unprepared for the reverberations from these adjustments. So tonight we're going to go over exactly what's happening, what the impact might be, and how you can try to profit from it, or at least avoid getting hurt. Because this rebalance has everything to do with the mechanics of the market and absolutely nothing to do with the fundamentals of the stocks. So therefore, we're going off the charts to learn more. And we're doing it with the help of Mark Sebastian. He's the founder of Option Pit. He's one of our favorite technicians. He spends a lot of time talking about the VIX, but he really understands the mechanics of this kind of situation. First, let's take a page from Dragnet, as in just the facts, man. What are the facts here? Nearly two weeks ago, NASDAQ announced a special rebalance for the NASDAQ 100. The index made from the 100 largest non-financial stocks in the NASDAQ composite. Their goal? They want to reduce over-concentration in the index. See, they feel like it's hostage to a small, I mean, the small number of mega-cap stocks with extremely heavy weightings. And you're going to recognize these names. Yep, we're talking about them gunning for the Magnificent Seven. Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet, Amazon, NVIDIA, Meta Platforms, and Tesla now collectively account for more than 55% of the NASDAQ 100 composite. Hey, that's only happened because the companies are so good and their stocks have created so much value. But I understand the concern. 55% of the index and only seven stocks? It's nuts. In fact, just Apple and Microsoft add up to nearly a quarter of the NASDAQ 100. That's not representative of the entire 100 stocks. 
After tomorrow's rebalance, the Magnificent Seven should collectively account for more like 44% of the NASDAQ 100, at least according to David Costin. He's done the best work on this. He's the chief U.S. equity strategist at Goldman Sachs. We don't know exactly what the new weightings will look like, but we've got a general idea of what they're trying to do. These weighting changes will officially take effect Monday. But according to Mark Sebastian, the trading to account for these changes will likely take place tomorrow night, just after the close. Uh, within only an hour or so, he expects billions of dollars worth of shares in the Magnificent Seven will be forced sold. And a lot of the selling you saw today was to get ahead of tomorrow's selling. All right, just how much are we talking? Well, by Sebastian's math, close to $300 billion is pegged to the NASDAQ 100 index, though various mutual funds it's, it, it, and ETFs. Now, look, the lion's share of that, you probably know, is the Invesco QQQ Series 1 ETF. And that's known by its ticker, QQQ, which has a $209 billion market cap. There are a bunch of less prominent mutual funds and ETFs that track the index, too, like Fidelity's Victory NASDAQ 100 index. Hey, put it all together. And Sebastian uh, likes $300 billion as the rough estimate. I'll go with this estimate. It makes sense to me. Using the roughly $300 billion estimate and the new weighting estimates from Goldman Sachs, that works out to more than $35 billion of forced selling in an instant tomorrow night. Now, take a look at this table to see where the pain is most likely to be distributed. More than half of the forced selling will be in just two stocks, Microsoft and NVIDIA, because they're going to be the hardest hit by the, by the rebalancing. Sebastian expects them both to be hit with $9 billion in forced sales. By contrast, the average daily volume in Microsoft is just $7.8 billion. So we're talking about more than a day's worth of volume, all of which will be sales, sales happening after hours in trading in an extremely short period of time. That's going to be carnage which is why Sebastian predicts pain for all seven next Monday and why I think that you saw some selling in these stocks so badly today. <clears throat> of course, because this is a rebalance, we'll also see a bunch of forced buying in smaller NASDAQ 100 stocks that get a higher weight. So there you got to be thinking about Broadcom, PepsiCo, Costco, and Adobe, all of which to see their weightings increase by 40 to 60 basis points. That's going to be a lot of buying. So with those facts in mind, how do you plan for the rebalance tomorrow night? First, Sebastian's actually been surprised that there hasn't been even more pressure on the Magnificent 7 in anticipation of the shakeup, even with today's declines. The rebalancing was announced on July 7th, yet five of the seven stocks are up since then, with only Alphabet and Tesla, Tesla, of course, just reported last night, down. And that entire decline for both these companies only happened during te- today's tech sell-off. Of course, as Sebastian's right, you can expect another brutal day for these mega-cap tech stocks tomorrow. And I told you earlier today, you can't just go in and buy these stocks because they're down yet. They have to settle. What could this mean for the major averages? Look, in theory, there should be zero impact on the NASDAQ 100 itself because they're just moving money from the Magnificent 7 to the other 93 names in the index. In Sebastian's view, though, all the forced selling could have a nasty impact on the S&P 500 because the Magnificent 7 weigh in at 28% of the S&P. As he sees it, from the close tomorrow to the middle of next week, the risk-reward for the S&P should be something like 1% to 2% up, 5 or more percent down. That's right, not favorable to the bulls. In preparation for NASDAQ 100 rebalance, Sebastian thinks it's a good idea to go along the Dow Jones Industrial Average. <laughs> Isn't that what worked today? And short the S&P 500 and also the NASDAQ 100, because after all, the Magnificent 7 are some of the best performers in the index. Full disclosure, that's effectively what Sebastian's been doing, and that strategy worked incredibly well today. 
More importantly, though, if you have huge gains in any of the Magnificent 7 stocks, maybe consider taking some profits tomorrow. NVIDIA is still up 211% year-to-date, for heaven's sake. Nobody ever got hurt by taking something off the table. I'm just pointing that out. I, we're not selling for the Chapel Trust. I'm just pointing out for people who are really opportunistic and can go in and out quickly, it's not a bad idea. But even if you don't want to do any hedging or profit-taking or, uh, or other preparation for the rebalancing, I'm begging you, at least be aware of what's happening. Don't panic. If you see stocks that are part of the Magnificent Seven rolling over, possibly along with the S&P 500. Of course, this is just one moment of extreme poor selling. That's why Sebastian's only thinks it could be a buying opportunity for Magnificent Seven. You know what? That's where I come in. If you've been kicking yourself for missing the moves in these tremendous tech stocks, you might get your chance to scoop them up at a big discount. I would wait till the middle of next week. That's why I want you to think about tomorrow night's NASDAQ 100 rebalancing. So here's the bottom line. The numbers as interpreted by Mark Sebastian suggest that the whole market could be impacted by the forced selling in just seven stocks, the magnificent seven, because they're also a huge part of the S&P 500. Sebastian recommends doing some hedging into the rebalance or at least taking some profits in the stocks that are about to get hit with a haymaker of forced selling. Or you can sit back and do nothing because, after all, this is only temporary pressure. But what you absolutely can't afford to do, listen up, you can't afford to panic just because you see the Magnificent Seven going down here, because the move will have nothing to do with the underlying companies and everything to do with the mechanics of the stock market. Let's take some questions. Let's go to Tony in Florida. Tony. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Kings. What's up, buddy? Draft Kings. I've, uh, since last year, did real well, 13 to 30. And now, at this point, in my studies and my gut, I'm still seeing it at buy short term and long term. I just want to get your opinion. I'm with you. I think that uh, Mr. Robbins runs the company. has done a remarkable job. I don't say it's game, set, match. OK, but I will tell you that he has really pulled away from the competition and we're going into football season. And I think that they're going to do a remarkable job pivoting to not start making a lot of money. Let's go to Larry in North Carolina. Larry. Hey, Jim. Uh, this is Larry. I want to know your opinion on uh, Kroger. They had the uh, annual revenue of $210 billion if they merged with Albertsons, and right. I think it would be a great investment. Okay, so, Larry, I want to give you my view on this. I, I think that as much as Kroger has expressed a very good plan to be able to make sure there's not too much overlap with antitrust, I do not think this is going to pass muster for antitrust. All that said, Kroger's a good company. You don't need it to buy it, okay? It doesn't. It's a great deal. But I am telling you that my, the work I do on antitrust tells me that they will not be able to close on that deal, that the government won't let them. But please don't panic if you see some of your magnificent seven stocks rolling over this Friday after the Nasdaq's rebalancing. It's to be expected. If you're looking to take some profits ahead of that, I get it. But if you want to do some buying of them, I would wait till the middle of next week. All right, much more man money ahead. Could generative AI be more than just a buzzword for a company like SAP? I'm checking in with the CEO after earnings. Then it looks like we're having one of the post-earnings swoons we occasionally get in two terrific companies. Tesla and Netflix. But should you be worried? Or is it an opportunity? I'll tell you where I come down. And of course, all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the lightning round. So stay with Kramer.
this earnings season, I'm watching corporate information technology spending like a hawk. See, for the past few quarters, we've heard about a more discerning environment where major IT investments need more sign-offs, take much longer to get done. Overall, not great for the industry. So are we still seeing that or are businesses starting to relax their purse strings? Today, we got some clues from SAP. That's that gigantic German software company that's a major player in what's known as enterprise resource planning, or ERP. When SAP reported, we got a mixed picture. On the one hand, they delivered higher than expected sales and operating profit, both for the quarter and for the full-year forecast. But on the other hand, their cloud sales came in a little weaker than anticipated, and they trimmed their full-year cloud forecast. That this just overwhelmed the good news in the rest of the business, including a strong practical use for generative AI and sent the U.S. listed shares down more than 6% today. But I don't think that's the full story. Let's check in with Christian Klein. He's the CEO of SAP. Get a better read on what's really happening both in the quarter and on IT spending. Mr. Klein, welcome back to Man Money. Jim, it's great to be back in your show. All right. Well, look, we've got to deal with both a short-term consideration and a longer term. Short-term, you talked about some weakness, some macro weakness in your business. Longer term, it seems like your business could be more exciting than ever, particularly because of all the interest you have in generative AI. So I thought maybe you could put things in context. Because the stock's down today, people worry about your, uh, whether there's something really wrong. But the future seems so bright. I want you to give you the floor to be able to explain the dichotomy between the weakness now and what could be great in the future. I mean, Jim, first of all, our stock uh, performed really well in the last 12 months. And also this quarter, we actually delivered really good numbers. I mean, when you look at it, our current cloud backlog is now up to 25% to 11.5 billion, which actually sets a very strong foundation for future cloud revenue growth. Cloud revenue is growing 22% above our peers and operating profit is up 28%, which is very important to show that we are accelerating our cloud growth momentum while we are super profitable also at scale in our cloud business. And then, indeed, you're right, long-term Gen AI really allows SAP to run our customers at higher productivity as our system will self-automate the business processes of our customers, or they will also help to, for example, decarbonize supply chains while not taking any hit on profits as we are having the mission-critical data and with Gen AI, the technology, to give our customers now these smart recommendations. You know, I want people to understand, I mean, you're a German company, but it's very rare that I ever see a company do their resource planning without using SAP. Uh, for instance, Halliburton, which we uh, own for my travel trust, counts on you to be able to make, give you money, which pays mm-hmm. back very quickly. And then people might say, well, come yes. on, that's ridiculous. How do I give a company like SAP money and then it pays itself back? We all know Halliburton here because I talk about it constantly. Maybe you can describe to people why Halliburton needs SAP so badly that they're willing to spend up front in order to get a return later. Yeah, so Halliburton, as many other U.S. companies, actually wanted one a global business. So we are running our software in over 130 countries in the world. And look at all the geopolitical tensions. There is no other software company than SAP than to run your software, your business in over 130 uh, countries in the world. Second, you know, when you want to change your business model, you want to offer your product subscription or you want to have more pay-as-you-go business, this is SAP. When you actually, you know, want to personalize your products, if you want to sell more commerce and have next-day delivery, this is SAP. And next year, we are going to deliver a Queen Ledger. Because guess why, Jim? We are running the material flows of the world. So we can measure, for example, carbon footprint, not only for Halliburton, but for all of their suppliers. 
and suddenly you're gonna see your carbon footprint end to end and that sets you up to also decarbonize your supply chain and run a more sustainable enterprise, which is super important. I know that is what you're doing with the auto companies. You've been being very acceptable. Uh, really, it, it seems like all the auto companies rely on you to be able to get their supply chain right and also environmental. Yeah, yeah I, in, indeed. You are informed extremely well. We are doing this for the automotives and all of their suppliers. We are now doing this for the manufacturers, for the chemical companies, as we are running in almost every industry. Yeah, we can connect the supply chains of the world, build more resiliency into the supply chains, but then also, of course, help our customers to decarbonize supply chains. Now, but at the same time, you did mention that there, for one part of your business, there is some macro weakness. And I want to try to understand what, what that is, because I do believe there's uh, a mention about how there's some cloud weakness, but the cloud everybody takes is so strong. So what, what is, uh, how can we explain that if the cloud's so strong, SAP saw some weakness? Mm. Yeah, I mean, Jim, first of all, when you look at our current cloud backlog growing 25% and the cloud revenue growing 22%, and actually our SaaS pass business is actually growing by 26%, these are very strong results. Or take the ERP. I mean, we are talking here about a massive business. Everyone wants ERP with SAP, and we are growing this business in the cloud by 75%. These are strong numbers. Yes, we had a one part of the business. It's about contingent workers. Companies need less contingent workers these days. So there was a little bit a downturn, but that was for a quarter. That's definitely not the trend. The pipeline for the rest of the year is super strong. Now, one last one people don't realize. The largest uh, private liquor company in the world is a company called Bacardi. Now, we all, I mean, yes. I don't want to be able to drink Bacardi because a lot of people don't drink. <laughs> but what do you do for Bacardi? Because to me, I know that family, and that family is brilliant. And they could choose any company they wanted to be able to do this. Mm -hmm. I mean, Bacardi, they are actually serving their product in over 200 countries in the world. And you are not going to find any other software player who can run their business in 200 countries you know, in the world. Now, Bacardi has, for example, business requirements with regard to next day delivery or actually some personalization of the product and or actually on automation of the shop floor. This is SAP. And, you know, while they used our ERP to transact in the past, now with generative AI, we can actually also boost their productivity. We can actually get to a higher productivity in all of their workflows. That's SAP and actually the business case is more stronger than ever to move now to SAP, especially in the ERP and supply chain space. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. I've followed your company very closely for many years. It's been a really good year for SAP, but it's been a really bad day for tech. You happen to report on a terrible day for tech, and I think that has a lot more to do with what's going on with the stock. Christian, I want to thank you for coming on Mad Money. It's great to see you again. Thanks for having me, Jim. Absolutely. That's Christian Klein, CEO of SAP. The stock was up huge this year. It has a little bit of hiccup here, but what they're doing with Generative AI is going to be terrific for next year. Mad Money's back in for the break. Coming up, Kramer wants to hear from you. Your calls on the thunderous lightning round. Next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski deck, turn the light on cameras in my left. Start with Wayne in Maryland. Wayne. Hey, buddy, I love the show. Oh, thank you, buddy. What's shaking? 
I have about two and a half percent of my IRA in alumina. That's too much. That's too much. Alumina is not even as good as Danaher. Be careful. That's too much alumina. I want to go right now to Walter in Virginia. Walter. Hey, Jim. Love everything you do. Oh, I'd, love to talk you. About, I'd love to talk about bioharvest sciences, but we're going to have to wait till 2024 because their share price needs to move up a little. For Pathway is going to be a good trip, or am I just hallucinating? That one, look, I, it's, it's, treatment resistant depression is incredibly difficult. No one's really had a handle on it. J&J does have a good drug for it right now, but it's, it's just very, very difficult. Let's go to Peter in Pennsylvania. Peter! Hello, Jim. I'd like to uh, thank you. I've watched your show since the Kudlow and Kramer days. Oh, my God. You're talking about 37 years now. Yeah, I'm a member of the club, and thanks thank for you. sharing your knowledge. Thank you. Uh, Jim, I have some J.P. Morgan, but I'm interested. Is it too early to invest in a regional, a strong regional bank like KeyBank? I'll tell you something happened that was amazing, Key. Today, they reported a disappointing number. Okay, so the stock got hammered immediately. And then, bingo, it reverses and goes up. It is time to buy the stock of Key Corp, which is an excellent company. Jeff in Tennessee. Jeff. Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Oh, my pleasure. Hey, my question is regarding Eaton Corporation. I've been uh, long on Eaton for 10 years. Then you've done well, and that new change in management has done incredibly well. It is really the linchpin of the entire change going towards electric vehicles. You're smart. you got horse sense. I'm going to Rebecca in Florida. Rebecca. Hey, Jim. A beach booyah to you. Ah, you got the edge of me, Rebecca. What's going on? Looking for some advice on a biotech stock that I'm interested in that's okay. going to reduce Reduced LDL cholesterol in one dose. Uh, it's Verve. Yeah, Verve is trying to do that, and that would be remarkable if it doesn't, because many people are taking a, some very difficult drugs to reduce cholesterol. Some of us are allergic to them, and it's really been unbelievable if we could find something like this. So it would be fabulous, but it's very speculative. Regime in Virginia, Regime. Hey, Booyah, Mr. Kramer, how are you? I'm doing fine, Regime. How are you doing? Good, thank you. It's- it's such a pleasure to talk to you. It seems oh, like I'm you. not in this world right now. Oh, but thank um, you. <clears throat> I'd like to put the credit where the credit is due. And you have put me through, you have taken me through so many ups and downs, kept the hope alive through all your blessings and guidance. I cannot thank you enough. You are a gentleman. Thank you. Just made my day. What's happening? Okay, so I'm calling about, I'm in the IT industry, and I'm calling about this uh, data analytics play. That is one of many in the IT world. What it does is data transformation, data analytics, and data crunching. It's called okay. ETL. And uh, there's, uh, there's a big demand of it, and it has reinvented itself. It went private in 2015, okay. 16 time frame, and then it came public again yes, in okay. 2021. So you know what I'm calling about this? play called Informatica. Tell me about it. Oh, I, Informatica, I liked it before it went, uh, came, went private. I liked it after, but the problem is now there are too many companies that do exactly what Informatica does, although they do it really well, and that's what's causing the problem. That's what keeps me from saying bye-bye-bye. How about Bob in Utah? Bob! Hey, Jim. Hey, thanks for everything you do. I've been oh, watching Bob, for thank 15 you. years. You've helped me tremendously over that time. There you go. Thank you. Thank you, Bob. Hey, Question, ASML, uh, they reported earnings just two days Look, ago. the quarter was good, but it didn't plummeted. matter because Taiwan Semi said that they don't need as much capital equipment. And they're the largest capital equipment glider in the country. I think you got to wait three days before this ASML is going to bottom. Probably get it around 600. And that, ladies and gentlemen, good of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. 
Coming up, Netflix and Tesla have dared to dip, but Kramer's not crying dire straits. Find out why these market darlings are poised to weather this week's pain. Next. Looks like we're having one of those periodic swoons in both Tesla and Netflix. Two of the best performing stocks the last 15 odd years. They've had some of the most impressive moves I can ever recall. Monumental even. Occasionally, though, they sell off hard. But then they have a habit of coming back with a vengeance. First, though, let me just say I can't blame anybody for wanting to take some profits in these two juggernauts. They both reported numbers last night, and most of Wall Street found them wanting. Netflix gave us very good subscriber numbers, a lot of that thanks to a crackdown on password sharing. But it then gave us a tepid forecast, calling to question the sustainability of this very expensive stock. Tesla had its own set of problems. Elon Musk, the brilliant businessman who runs Tesla with an iron fist, I should add, seemed to relax that fist by talking about how much money his company needs to spend to become the dominant, fully self-driving car company in the world. He justified that spending, which includes building an exorbitantly expensive supercomputer, by discussing how much safer a fully self-driving car could be. He also tantalized us with the possibility of a giant revenue stream that would eventually emerge if he licensed his technology to other large auto companies. But that's all in the very distant future. In the present, Wall Street only seems to care that Tesla's going to spend a fortune on something that's relatively unproven. Now, I make a habit of watching fantastic companies with stocks that periodically sell off hard in reaction to what I call short-term hiccups, hiccups that make, me, that make everybody feel like the best days of these companies are behind them. I think those are often buying opportunities, and, and that theory has led the CMC Investing Club to some big wins, including Apple, and yes, maybe the greatest of all time, for at least of the great time of the trust, NVIDIA, both of which tend to follow the same exact pattern as Tesla and Netflix. Right now, Netflix and Tesla are experiencing what I regard as classic swoons. See, I just gave you the ostensible reasons why both stocks plunged today. But now let's do this. Let me tell you why I think they're eventually going to work their way up. And let me tell you what really went on with these sales so that people do not think that there's anything that's really wrong. Netflix is undergoing an incredibly difficult to understand but remarkable transformation if you're giving users the option to watch their content for a monthly fee that is $3 lower than the prior lowest rate. But you got to sit through some commercials. Remember old-fashioned television? Although it's still very early in the transition, Netflix made it crystal clear that they will make way more money from a customer who's on that $3 pattern, okay? The guy who's on, on the tier that is the ad tier, not the subscription tier. And you see, that has huge implications on how much money is going to be made for this company. Implications, by the way, they were lost totally on today's sellers. Specifically, I think if it wants to, Netflix, and they haven't said this, but Netflix can raise their subscription prices dramatically. And people who want to pay less can just switch to this ad tier with a smaller fee. But get this, Netflix makes a ton more money off an individual customer if they switch. Again, the process is still in its infancy. doesn't yet move the needle for this incredibly well-run company. However, it goes into full swing. Here's what's going to happen. The numbers that Netflix reports are going to be a giant upside surprise. I think Netflix is going to turn out to be a much more lucrative company. And you're going to be able to buy it right now ahead of this incredible transformation. All right, how about Tesla? Very similar. 
Look, Elon Musk has never been bound by the four walls of the quarterly report canvas. He always wants to outsell every other automaker, EV or otherwise. But really now he is focused on creating a world of self-driving cars, in part because you will be able to lend out your vehicle when you're not using it. Basically, having AI act as an Uber driver for you, assuming you're willing to let strangers in your car. This way, your car pays for itself and much more. It will be worth more, not less, the moment it leaves the lot. Musk doesn't need to do this. He could really rest on his laurels, given the fact that he makes the most popular vehicle in Europe and Tesla's the dominant electric vehicle company in the U.S. But Musk wants Tesla to be far more than that. He wants to dominate in self-driving, in batteries, in design, in pickup trucks, and probably a bunch of other things he won't even tell us about yet. When he says that he can't believe Tesla has free cash flow, he actually says that. He is, he's actually mocking the short-termers, basically telling them, hey, sell your shares, don't let the door hit you on the way out. The thing is, every time these stocks swoon, the declines look so justified, so reasonable, that they scare people away. But when you've got fantastic management and phenomenal products, you tend to win out over the long term despite these speed bumps. Of course, it takes more than one day for these kinds of stocks to bottom. If history's any guide, they're absolutely not done going down for the moment. There's plenty of big money rotating to other sectors, and that tends to take two or three or four, maybe even five days because, well, we don't forget, we got that NASDAQ 100 rebalancing tomorrow. But make no mistake, Netflix and Tesla are two of the greatest investments of all time. And I got nothing, heard nothing at all last night that makes me feel differently about them. All that has happened is that you're going to get the stocks even lower, maybe a week or two from now. I like to say there's always bull market somewhere. I'm trying to find just for your hero made money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you next time. Last call starts now. All opinions expressed by Jim Cramer on this podcast are solely Cramer's opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by Cramer on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Jim Cramer as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. Cramer's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Mad Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash disclaimer. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>